Would you turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Job, chapter 28, this morning? We're going to begin reading in verse number 20. Job is speaking here, and he poses the question, from where, then, does wisdom come? Where is the place of understanding? Well, it is hidden from the eyes of all living. It is concealed from the birds of the air. Abdon and death say, we have heard a rumor of it with our ears. But God understands the way to it, and he knows its place. For he looks to the ends of the earth, and he sees everything under the heavens. When he gave to the wind its weight, when he apportioned the waters by measure, when he made a decree for the rain and a way for the lightning of the thunder, then he saw it and declared it. He established it. He searched it out. And he said to man, Behold, the fear of the Lord, that is wisdom, and to turn away from evil is understanding. Job is at the close of his speech before God, his speech before his friends. Before he closes, he calls to mind the necessity of man to walk in wisdom and understanding. So in this chapter, he explores what it means to walk in wisdom, walk in understanding, and what it means to walk in the fear of our God. I'd like to take a few minutes this morning to, to work through this chapter together and to learn what, what God has revealed about himself, what he's revealed about you and me, and how we can live in this world in a way that is right, in a way that is best, and in a way that is glorifying to the Lord. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Our dear Heavenly Father, we, we certainly um, long and desire to know you and to draw near to you and to walk in the fear of God and to walk in wisdom and understanding. Lord, the question is posed by Job, where can it be found? So today we understand that we have your word that has revealed to us all things that you desire for us to know and so we want to look into it and we want to understand it and Lord, by your spirit who dwells within us, Those who have come to faith in Christ, may we grasp this truth and to live daily in wisdom and understanding. But as we look into your word, we trust that your spirit would use it and that he would apply it to each and every heart that is here today. And and we, we pray that you would apply it as you see fit, right where we are. For those who are without Christ, I pray that your word would be applied that Christ might be seen. He might be magnified and that through your word, you would show forth your glory and you would crowd men or women to a saving faith in Jesus Christ. For those who know Christ, may we be crowded to a closer walk with you. Transform us into the likeness of your son, the preaching of your word. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, 
remain in chapter 28, and let's jump back to the first of the chapter, and let's explore uh, some of the thoughts that uh, Job puts forth by the inspiration of, of the Holy Spirit in regards to wisdom uh, and its application to day-to-day life. Now, the book of Job is an interesting book. I, I think it's been an interesting book because, uh, because it can be, almost like the book of Ecclesiastes, it can be pretty depressing. Right? Ecclesiastes begins, oh, vanity of vanity, all is vanity under the sun. Oh, bother. You feel almost Eeyore is writing the book. Oh, bother. But, but in truth, as you look into it, in the light of the gospel, in the light of what God has provided for our life in him, we really find that God has provided greater life that is experienced not under the sun, but above the sun. And that really is the whole of the book of Ecclesiastes. Job deals with the sufferings of man. And not just any man, but a man who is a righteous and an upright man. One who belonged to God. One of God's own. And yet God afflicted him. And yet he did it with a wisdom and with understanding. And he did it out of the goodness and the pleasure of his own heart. In order that Job might draw near to him and might trust him more greatly. And that we, as we read it, might understand a little bit of God's works and God's ways. Now, earlier we read in chapter 15 that that one of Job's friends, Eliphaz, said he had a fear regarding Job's speech. He said, of Job, I'm afraid that you have departed from the fear of the Lord. And it seems as though then that Job is addressing that right here, that he is saying, no, I've not departed from the fear of the Lord. I have exercised the practice of walking in wisdom and understanding. I've sought the Lord, and yet I still question why God is doing what he's doing. Again, there's some things that I have to be honest with you is a little baffling to me, some of the things that Job actually says to God. I I have to look back and think, I don't know if I am that brave. I know that I can come boldly to the throne of grace, but I don't think it's, I don't think coming boldly to the throne of grace is the idea of a cocky attitude. Um, why do you do this? Give me an answer. Give me an audience. And perhaps that wasn't the tone of voice that he says, but even as you read these things, it's troubling. At the same time, we learn that God continues to be faithful. God is still silent. He'll speak in just a few chapters. We're going to see one other friend who speaks in, in next week in, in, or in the next couple of weeks. Uh, but then we're going to see God speak, and, and even there, God mainly or primarily reveals his glory, as though to say, you can trust me. I think that's what we find here in this chapter. God is already doing a work in Job's heart, or, or at least Job has a, has a clear understanding. And the way that Job begins is that he likens the mining for precious commodities to the seeking for wisdom. And in essence, he says there's no comparison. Let's read together, and we're just going to work through the text Itself, I don't really have any main points. I do have a title. The title is Wisdom, Understanding, and the Fear of God. So I don't have any main points except look at verse me in verse number one. So there's point one. Verse one, surely there is a mine for silver. There's a place for gold that they refine. Iron is taken out of the earth. Copper is smelted from the ore. Man puts an end to darkness and he searches out to the farthest limit, the ore in gloom and deep darkness. He opens great shafts 
in a valley away from where everyone lives. They are forgotten by travelers. They hang in the air far away from mankind. They swing to and fro. From one of, my com- one of the commentaries I read said apparently it was something that they would do. They would be lowered by a rope into a deep, dark shaft, and there they would swing from side to side, and they would light the sides on fire. So they would cause the rock to heat up so hot that it would crack so they might be able to find the precious ore that would be in there. I don't know who got the job of hanging from that long rope, but I don't think he was the favorite guy on the crew. So Job is simply describing the works of man. I mean, and by the way, the the technology that we have today and and the digging we do, we we know they practice the same things back in Job's day, thousands of years ago. So there were great civilizations back even um, before um, before Christ. As for the earth, verse number five. As for the earth, out of it comes bread but underneath it is turned up as by fire. Its stones are the place of sapphires, and it has dust of gold. That path no bird of prey knows, and the falcon's eye has not seen it. The proud beasts have not trodden it. The lion has not passed over it. Man puts his hand to the flinty rock. He overturns mountains by the roots. He cuts out channels in the rocks, and his eyes seize everything precious, every precious thing. He dams up the streams so that they do not trickle, and the thing that is hidden he brings out to light. Now, Job is, is working toward the end of seeking out wisdom, and where can we find wisdom? And so he uses the efforts of mankind to give us, give us an idea of what it takes to look for things that are valuable in this present world. He conveys the length man will go to acquire things of earthly value, the creature comforts. Man will mine deep into the recesses of the earth. He will labor to refine gold in the the fire and he smelt copper from, from the ore. He searches in the gloom in the deep darkness of the earth. He will open up great shafts to access places where no man can inhabit and will put their lives at risk. This because of the great value of that which uh, for, uh, of that which they search out. That, that's the whole description there. Even today, we see the mines today. I think uh, the, the deepest mine today is in South Africa. Am I correct? It's about, about two and a half miles deep. It's a long ways. It's not halfway to China yet, but it's pretty deep. I, I think um, the Homestake mine is, mine is, is it a mile and a half? Is it a mile? It's a pretty deep mine. So man has dug deep into the earth, and that's all that... Job is describing here. And what he's saying is that man will go to great lengths in order to mine from the earth or from the sea the commodities that he deems to be valuable. The emphasis seems to be that, that that, that seems to be the great lengths that man will go to acquire these things. Verse number 12 But where shall wisdom be found? And where is the place of understanding? Man does not know its worth, and it is not found in the land of the living. So now he makes a contrast. 
Job poses the question, where shall wisdom be found? Now, we might be able to find where, might be able to, to search out, and, and by through, through different means, we might find where, uh, where more oil might be found, or where more gold may be found, or where diamonds be found, or any, any valuable, things of great value might be found. We might be able to search things out. And Job says, but where can you find Wisdom. Where can you find understanding? Then he makes this observation in verse number 13. Man does not know its worth, and it is not found in the land of living. You get that? Man does not know its worth. The implication there is, that man does not deem wisdom something of any value where he might search for his own sake. In, in his understanding, in man's understanding, he places a great deal of value and worth upon material matter. And rightfully so, right? Uh, many things for which man labors are valuable for our survival and for our comfort. Um, and these, these things are gifts from God. We can enjoy those things, and we ought to enjoy those things. But the point Job is making is that while man places great value on the material things of this world, he does not know the true worth of wisdom and understanding. And therefore, man of his own doing does not search out wisdom at least not with the same fervor he seeks for the material things, that, things of value. It is difficult, however, to find wisdom and understanding because, because it cannot be found through the normal ways of this world, right? Job's, Job writes in verse number 14, the deep says, the deep says, it is not in me. The seas say, it is not with me. So although mining the depths of the earth and exploring the expanse of the sea is difficult, man has the capacity to do so, and he has, in fact, been doing it for centuries. So man has the ability, God has given the, the means, by, the, the wherewithal, wherewithal that man might be able to explore the great depths of this earth, the great depths of the oceans. He can search out these things. He can do those things. So if wisdom and understanding could be found, and if man desired to find it, if they could find it, with their great abilities, man would be, have willingly and successfully found them. But first of all, man doesn't seek it out, nor can man ever find it. You can't find it through the normal means. You can't, you can't get on Amazon.com and look up wisdom. You can't read the reviews of which wisdom is good and which wisdom is bad. You can't just place it in your credit card and say, buy now. It's not going to come to you in the mail or by UPS, ever. It's not something that we can attain in and of ourselves. And even if it was such a commodity where we might see it in its tangible form, we could never afford it. Verse number 18, or verse number 15. 
Wisdom and understanding cannot be bought for gold, and silver cannot be weighed as its price. It cannot be valued in the gold of Ophir, in precious onyx or sapphire. Gold and glass cannot equal it, nor can it be exchanged for jewels of fine gold. No mention shall be made of coral or of crystal. The price of wisdom is above pearls. The topaz of Ethiopia cannot equal it, nor can it be valued in pure gold. Wisdom and understanding is not a commodity that can be purchased. Even if it were, there is nothing in this world that could be offered that would meet its value. Verse number 20. From where then does wisdom come? He poses the exact same question he posed in verse number 12. And where is the place of understanding? It is hidden from the eyes of all living and concealed from the birds of the air. Abaddon and death say, we have heard a rumor of it with our ears. So Job poses the question once again, from where then does wisdom come? Where is the place of understanding? And then he tells us once again that they are not found any place that is accessible in the material world. It is hidden from the eyes of all living and concealed from the birds of the air. Isn't that interesting? Concealed from the birds of the air. I think the idea is that you cannot see it from a ground level and you cannot see it with a bird's eye view. It's not something that you can search out with your human eyes and, and discover it. Abaddon and death say, and say, say, we have heard a rumor of it with our ears. I, I like that. We've heard a rumor of it. We've heard of wisdom. But, but Abaddon really refers to the place of decay. The, the netherworld of the dead under the earth. Death refers to just that, death. And so wisdom and understanding cannot be found in the depths of the earth where it might be mined. It cannot be found in the ocean depths. It cannot be found or seen from a bird's eye view. And it cannot be found in the grave. So where then can wisdom and understanding be found? Verse 23, God understands the way to it and he knows its place. Ah, there you go. How can we know wisdom and understanding? Only by God. Only as God reveals it. It is from God. And it is for his glory. And that he disposes or he, he, he dispenses of it to his people. It is from God. Wisdom is from above. Note that Job doesn't tell us where wisdom and understanding is to be found. Rather, he tells us by whom wisdom and understanding is to be found. God understands the way to it. He knows its place. Now, once again, turn your eyes to verse number 28 to remind ourselves of the, of the fixed end that Job is working. He said to man, God said to man, behold, the fear of the Lord, that is wisdom, and to turn away from evil is understanding. So how he gets here, I think, is, is, is kind of interesting, and, and I, think it's in, I think it gives us some insight of godly wisdom. So let's work through, these, through this together. Verse 24, God 
looks to the ends of the earth. He sees everything under the heavens. Now, at face value, we would read that and say, yes, we know that God is overall. He can see all things. He knows all things. We can go to Psalm 139, and we can see that he is everywhere. He is omniscient. He is omnipresent. He is omnipotent. He, can see, he, is, he is aware of everything in the world. But I think that this statement describes not merely that God can see all things, but I think it actually carries the idea that he is the creator of all things and he sustains all things. That is that he holds all things together. If you're old enough to remember on your color on your black and white TV, that great hand, those two great hands coming down from the top of the screen, coming down, holding together, and the world is right there. You're in good hands with all state. <laughs> if you don't remember that, that was just good, good advertising. But the truth is we're in good hands because God, or to be New Testament oriented, Paul tells us that by him, by Jesus, all things consist, and he has created all things, and by him all things are sustained. He sustains all things. Every minute detail of creation is held by the hand of God. He is the creator. He is the sustainer of all things. So as he looks to the ends of the earth, he looks with the intent of sovereign governance. Look in verse number 25. He describes his sovereign creative work. When he gave the wind its weight, did you know wind has weight? You know the air has weight. I mean, many, many of you, you're a walking barometer. You know when the weather is changing because of the weight of the air. When, well, where did the wind get its weight? God gave it to him. God is the one that gave weight to the wind and to air. When he apportioned the waters by measure, when he made a decree for the rain and a way for the lightning of the thunder, then he saw it and he declared it. He established it. He searched it out. Simply put, God gave wind its weight. God allocated the volume of earth's waters. God decreed rain to fall as it does and he established specific paths for the lightning of the thunder. He saw it. He declared it. He established it. He searched it out. And the implication is that God did this in every single part of creation. And I believe the closing chapters of the book of Job will bear this out. Every aspect of creation, God created and God sustains. Well, what is the point that Job is making? Because he's talking about wisdom and understanding, and then now he's talking about God creating all things and sustaining all things. How do they relate? 
Job is saying that by wisdom and understanding, God created the heavens and the earth. His wisdom and understanding upholds and sustains all things, and he has set the course of the earth and all of creation. Everything in creation was established upon and is sustained by God's wisdom and understanding. Solomon, in his book of Proverbs, in the book of Proverbs in chapter 8, in the personification of wisdom, writes in Proverbs chapter 8, the Lord possessed me, that is wisdom speaking, the Lord possessed me at the beginning of his work, the first of his acts of old. Ages ago, I set up at the first before the beginning of the earth. When there were no depths, I was brought forth. When there were no springs abounding with water, before the mountains had been shaped, before the hills, I was brought forth. Before he had made the earth with its fields or the first of the dust of the world, When he established the heavens, I was there. When he drew a circle on the face of the deep, when he made firm the skies above, when he established the fountains of the deep, when he assigned to the sea its limit so that the waters might not transgress his command, when he he marked out the foundations of the earth, when then I I was beside him like a master workman, and I was daily his delight, rejoicing before him always, rejoicing in his inhabited world, and delighting in the children of man. What then, what then does this have to do with wisdom and understanding? God created all things according to his wisdom and understanding, and when creation operates within the parameters, it is operating according to God's wisdom and understanding. In other words, creation functions as God commanded it, and God created it to function. So the waters that stay within its boundaries the stars that hold their positions throughout the centuries, the earth at its rate of rotation on its axis, all this is in perfect creative harmony as they remain in the bounds of God's wisdom and understanding. That is our creation. But then, there is man. Who doesn't? Man's sinful rebellion not only put him at enmity with his creator, but because of his sin, his sin cast him into a world of darkness wandering about in his own worldly wisdom and understanding. And that is the description that is given to the world. The world wanders about in darkness. According to the Apostle Paul, man, apart from Christ lives his life disconnected from the life of God in ungodliness and unrighteousness. He suppresses the truth. Because although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or gave thanks to him. But they became futile in their thinking, and then their foolish hearts were darkened, claiming to be wise, claiming to walk in wisdom, they became fools. And in that, they exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. The prophet Jeremiah asserts that the wise men shall be, the wise men shall be, the men, 
The worldly wise men shall be put to shame. They shall be dismayed and taken. Behold, they have rejected the word of the Lord. So what wisdom is in them? Back here in Job 28, verse 28, God said to man, Behold the fear of the Lord, that is wisdom, and to turn away from evil is understanding. So let's ask this question. What is the fear of the Lord? In the context of Job's discourse, what is the fear of the Lord? I believe that in this context of this passage, as well as the many other passages, you can look in Psalm chapter 111, you find, um, you find the psalmist writing along the same thing, same way that Job writes, Proverbs chapter one and verse seven, Solomon says that the fear of God is the beginning of, of wisdom. Chapter nine and verse number 10, Proverbs chapter 14 and 27, even in Acts chapter nine and 31, the apostle Paul, Paul speaks of the wisdom of God and the fear of God. Fearing the Lord, if we were to read it in the context of Job's discourse, fearing the Lord is the acknowledgement that He is God, He is your Creator, and that you are His creation, and you are subject to His authority. Wisdom and understanding is living within the parameters of the created order where God is acknowledged as God and creation and the creature submits to him. Turn with me in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 2. When we look to our federal head, Adam, we find that he was created and he was placed in the garden He lived within the parameters of God's creative will. You you can read that chapter. It's pretty pretty clear what what God had done. The the Lord God planted a garden in Eden. And then out of the ground, the Lord God made made, made to spring up every tree that is pleasant to the sight. Keep, Keep this phrase in mind. Every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. That's an important statement right there. Now, among those trees were the tree of life and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Now, we learned that a river flowed out of Eden to water the garden, and there it divided and became four rivers. Look in verse number 15. Let's just read those few verses. Um, The Lord God took the man, he put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to keep it. The Lord God commanded the man saying, you may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat for in that day, in the day that you eat it, you shall surely die. The Lord gave Adam authority over all the creatures of the earth. And it was indicated by his assignment to name each one of them. To, to name uh, a, a creature was to, to, was to, was to um, claim authority over that creature. But, but the Lord, so the Lord gave, gave Adam a companion, a helpmeet, the, the woman 
whose role was to come alongside him as he lived in the wisdom and understanding of God's creative design. That was the role of, the role of Adam was to live in the wisdom and understanding of God, of what God had instructed him to do. This is, this is the parameters by which you will obey me and you will serve me. This is the walk of wisdom. You are to live in these, this garden, you are to tend the garden, you are to care for the garden. There are some restrictions, there are two restrictions, or there's one restriction, that you are not to eat of that tree of the, of the, of the knowledge of good and evil. And then the role of the woman was to simply come alongside him and to help him as he walks in wisdom and understanding of God's creative design. And the beauty and the simplicity of living in wisdom and understanding was that God provided for Adam everything that pertains to life and godliness. Everything that he needed in life was there. It even had a good irrigation system. Although there was mist in the air that watered all the plants, but it was, it was a neat place. So it, but, and and I, I thought it was interesting. It caught me off guard. It may, not, it may not have even crossed your mind, but as I was reading through this and as I was putting it on paper, uh, the fact that they woke up every morning and he tended the garden and he cared for the garden every day and he, he did what he did every day, it, it, I think it's interesting that as we ponder such a life, my heart became restless. I began to wonder, what more was there to do? Right? Of course, I don't like yard work anyway, but... <laughs> but and, and at first, I mean, because in my mind, and, and, and maybe you're not as warped as I am, my, my bet is that you are. Um, but, but at first... At first, it might seem might be fun as you explored the garden, as you played with the animals, as you as you swam in the river, as you tasted the varieties of fruits and vegetables. But but after a while, well, after a while, you wonder what else is there to do. And and some have wondered about that in heaven. What are we going to do in heaven? And I think I think. I think we think this way because we live in a world where nothing ever satisfies. Right? That, that's the world we live in. We find different interests. That's why you have a lot of different toys in your garage, men. We, we, nothing is lasting. But I think when we are in the presence of God, everything changes. But, but Adam and Eve, they lived in the fullness of the Lord. They found true contentment in him. And in finding contentment in the Lord, they knew contentment and joy in his creation. So contentment with the Lord brought contentment and joy in his creation. But this is just where the serpent attacks Eve, right? We're familiar with the story. In Genesis chapter 3, the serpent came. He caused her to question God's word. In verse number 2, did God actually say... He caused her to doubt God's intent. God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. The woman's eyes, if you notice, uh, shifted from her creator for life and became fixed upon the creation, right? Rather than finding her contentment in the creator, she began to look at this tree or this law that said, don't touch, So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was 
to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and he ate. Now notice the description of God's provision in the garden back in chapter 2, verse number 9. And out of the ground the Lord God made to spring up every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. Right? So in appearance, the, 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 three, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and its fruit was no different than any other tree in the garden in its external appearance. The problem was that Eve was looking to the tree and its fruit to provide what only God could give. So she ate. Doesn't stop there, right? Paul tells us in 1 Timothy chapter 2 that while the woman was deceived, Adam was not. Look in your, look in, in, um, in chapter 3 and verse number 9. Eve also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. The, the implication is that Adam saw and heard the serpent luring his wife into sin, and he not only allowed it to go on, he also, of his own volition, fully aware of what he was doing, knowing that the Lord God forbade him to eat the fruit, consciously disobeyed, and he ate. Adam consciously stepped outside of the parameters of God's creative design, and he sinned. And at that moment, Adam's fear of God in innocence was overcome by the foolishness of self-government and autonomy. His fear of God his innocent fear of God, I'm sorry, his fear of God in the state of innocence became a fear of God in self-preservation. As a matter of fact, when Adam ceased to fear God, he began to fear everything else. Look again in your Bibles beginning in verse number seven of Genesis 3. The eyes of both were opened and they knew that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. They, they feared exposure to one another in their shame. Verse number eight, they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of the voice sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. They feared being exposed to God in their nakedness. Verse number 11, God said to them, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, The woman whom you gave me gave to me to, to be with me, she gave me fruit of the tree, and I ate. The Lord said to the woman, What is this that you have done? The woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. They feared being exposed in their sin. The foolishness of man is the belief that you know better than your creator how to best live in his creation. Romans 3.18 tells us that for, man, that for man who is still in his sin, there is no fear of God before his eyes. 
godly wisdom then is fearing God, acknowledging him to be for be acknowledging him for who he is and living accordingly. Walking in wisdom and understanding calls for a restored relationship, right? If man outside of Christ, if man in and of himself in sin has no fear of God, it requires a restoration of relationship with our creator so that we can stand in righteousness before him. Our sin in every way keeps us from living within the parameters of God's creation. This then is the gospel. Jesus Christ came to restore man's relationship with God by bearing our sin upon the cross and thus bearing God's wrath on our behalf. We studied this morning in John chapter 17, the first five verses. And in those five verses, Jesus prays that the Father would glorify, it, would glorify him. He said, I have glorified you while I was here on this earth. How did Jesus glorify the Father? By fulfilling the mission. By accomplishing what God sent him to do. And what God sent him to do was to offer himself a sacrifice But it wasn't just any sacrifice. And that wasn't the totality of his mission, was it? The totality of his mission was included included also his life, his life of righteousness. He came to do the will of the Father. He walked in obedience to the Father's will. He exercised wisdom and understanding in all his ways. Therefore, the apostle John writes, he said, we beheld his glory, the glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. This is the wisdom that he saw. He saw Jesus Christ living in submission to his Father. Not my will, but thine be done. There's the picture of wisdom, ladies and gentlemen, brothers and sisters. Not my will. I am not autonomous. I am not my own God. There is one God. I am, a creation. I am the creator. Therefore, I submit to that creator. I am the creation, therefore I submit to the creator. He is my God, and I want to walk in wisdom. How do we do that? We submit our lives to him. How does that take place? It only takes place when there's a restoration of relationship. And so Christ, walking in wisdom and understanding, offered himself as a sacrifice on our behalf so that he might be raised from the dead, his sacrifice being sufficient for the payment of sins, he bearing our sins on himself, therefore bearing the wrath of God upon him on our behalf as our substitute. And God offers redemption, the forgiveness of sin, so that we can be reconciled to him And being reconciled to him, we can fear God, walking in wisdom and in understanding, turn away from sin. Oh, sinner, this morning, if you are here today without Jesus, you are walking in darkness. Now, you may be infinitely smarter than me. And that's not a high standard. But you may be infinitely smarter than anybody else in the world. But in the economy of God, you are a fool because you hate God. You might even answer that and say, no, I don't hate God, I love God. That's why I'm here today. The Bible says that when you resist Christ, you hate God. It is embedded in your heart. It is who you are. And you are separated from the very life of God and you are living as a fool. And one day you will spend eternity under the judgment, the eternal wrath of God.
I understand it's not a popular thing to preach hellfire and brimstone, but it is a biblical thing to do. And I think we can do that. I think we can talk about the reality of a, of a hellfire and brimstone because we can know with certainty that you don't have to go there. That Christ has made it, made, made it a way for you to be redeemed. He has provided the means by which you can be forgiven. You can be delivered from the wrath of God. And that's not by your cleaning up your act. It's not by you saying, okay, I'm going to obey all of God's commands. We can't do it. Not, not, not to the point where we would earn our salvation, but it comes by our, our recognizing ourselves to be sinful in the sight of God. And our sin is always toward God. David said, against you, you only have I sinned. It is always against God. It is coming to the point of recognizing by God's grace, by his infinite kindness toward us, coming to a point in our lives, seeing ourselves as we really are, sinners in rebellion against God and saying, oh God, be merciful to me. I am not worthy of your salvation, but you have offered to me this forgiveness. And it is turning to Christ in faith that he is sufficient for your eternal life. If you want to begin to walk in wisdom, that's where it begins. If you want to fear God, that is where it begins. See God for who he is in light of who you are and trust that he has provided the sufficient means in his son, Jesus Christ, that you might have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Will you place your faith in his son who died for you? Oh, brothers and sisters in Christ, will you walk in wisdom and understanding? God has reconciled you to himself through his son. Will you fear God, acknowledging that he is right and that he is wise and that living within the parameters of his word is where you will find wisdom and understanding? It is in the fear of God that you will know the fullness of the life you have in Christ. Turn to Christ, yield to him day in, day out. The, the, wonderf- the, the wonderful thing about the Christian life, the wonderful thing about the Christian life is that it's not about me and what I can do for God. The wonderful thing about the Christian life is Christ that he has accomplished that work and he is do, continuing that, that applying of his salvation to me each and every day. And so do you know what he does? He takes me to his word. As I read it, I enjoy it. But along the way, it convicts my heart. It convicts my heart of sin. And it convicts my heart of sin not to condemn me, but to crowd me to himself so that I can, by his grace, deal with that sin in a way that is pleasing to him and live day by day by the power of his spirit who dwells within me. Wisdom and understanding is found in our fear of God, living within the parameters of God's word and of God's creative design. Our dear Heavenly Father, (coughs) 
by your grace and your mercy, you've chosen you chosen to use the foolishness of preaching to win the lost. The foolishness of the Son of God hanging upon the cross to bear our sins. And Father, by your grace and by your mercy, you have reconciled us to yourself and you have brought us to faith in Jesus Christ and the work that he has accomplished for us. And in so doing, you have made us right before you. Teach us, Lord, each and every day to draw near to you Teach us, Lord, each and every day to understand and to grasp more and more the depth and the height, the breadth of your love for us. We might rest in what you have for us. Teach us to walk in wisdom and understanding. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.